taking part in GTM Talk. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you uh, on GTM Talk. And we are an early podcast, so it's really, it's really, really kind of you that you uh, chose to participate in GTM Talk. No, I'm super excited to be here. Thank you so much for including me and, and having me today. Yep. So one of the first things we do on GTM Talk is I give an introduction of the, the person I'm interviewing. But then I thought I wouldn't do justice to giving an introduction of Jen Abel. So I thought it's best that you tell us who you are and tell us your story. Sure. So I'm Jen. I'm one of the co-founders of a company called Jellyfish. Jellyfish is maniacally focused on helping um, early stage B2B founders go through the zero to one journey in the U.S. market. So that can include, you know, trying to enter the U.S. market for the first time, trying to unlock that first million of ARR and or taking a new product to market. And you still have to, you know, go through the the um, the uh, the fight of ambiguity that comes with it. So we've been doing this for just shy of seven years. It feels like 30. Um, we've supported I think we are on our over 300th engagement. So we've done this 300 times over. Uh, it never gets easier. Uh, so <laughs> I, I, definitely, uh, I, you know, we've learned so much. We have a bit of pattern recognition, but my God, it is still an extremely hard task, um, which is why we're so passionate about this stage, knowing what founders are, are up against. How, how was Jellyfish born? Like, what was the inception point that you said that there is a need in the market that I help Indian founders and founders from other developing yeah. countries launch in the U.S.? What was the inflection point? Yeah, I wish I was so smart to have that vision on day one. But like every founder we work with, our initial vision on day one was very much invalidated. So Justin, my, my co-founder, he's the CEO of Jellyfish. We ended up working together prior to Jellyfish. So we were the first two sales hire sales hires at a YC-backed startup to, to build out their enterprise sales team. And what we constantly saw in market is founders hire a sales rep. They'll say, hey, go out and speak to the market, figure out what they want, and then we'll build it. And we're, we were so set up to fail at that point, right? Because what you need is the founder's vision. Otherwise, you're just going to have multiple different kinds of, of different conversations. Everyone has a unique need or priority that's at the top of their mind. And we realized if we didn't have the founder at the tip of the spear alongside us, we would never be able to do this. And what we realized was, you know, we've done this, each of us at two or three separate companies, and we constantly ran into the same challenge, which is I need the founder to be a part of this. I can't do this alone. And we said, well, wait a second. The founder is absolutely the first head of sales. They are responsible for the zero to one journey, but there is no Co I hate the word co-pilot because in the, this AI world, it means something different. But <laughs> when we launched, there was no, literally someone to sit in next to you in the, in the um, pilot's cabin to figure out how to navigate this ambiguity. Where does the pulse live? How do I remove my bias as a founder to make sure that I'm focused on the right areas? And we, we saw a huge opportunity. So we launched four seed stage startups in the U.S., they all were kind of like, nah, why would I hire you? I'll just go hire someone full time. And it wasn't until we got an inbound from an Australian company that said, hey, um, we'd love an opportunity for you guys to help us test if US expansion makes sense. And that's when the light bulb went off. So the market kind of gave us a little bit of the, the problem they, they were facing. And we're like, oh, wait a second. There's something, in an, there's something over here. 
And this aligns very closely with what we find with founders, which is the gold is always in the adjacent market from where you start from. Right. Got it. Right. So, so Jen, with respect to GTM motions, right? Today, in today's world, there are multiple GTM motions. You can be sales led, you can be marketing led, you can be product led, you can be product led sales and everything in between, right? So I think for this, this podcast, this session, let's double down on the sales led motion. Uh, and the first question I have is, uh, how does a company identify which GTM motion to operate in? The reason I ask this is some start out as sales led and then, then, then they see everybody talking about product led growth in the product led yeah. way. Uh, yeah. They see co competition doing product led growth and they feel, oh, should I be doing that? And they quickly shift yeah. their GTM motion based on, based on what they read, based on what they see without validating or invalidating uh, experiments. Yep. No, it's, it's a great question. So um, they are two sides of the spectrum, right? You are either selling to a, to a user or you're selling to an executive buyer, right? That's the, usually the big difference between sales led and, and user and uh, product led. Um, I actually think product led growth is just a fancier way for marketing. It's just a rebranding of marketing led. Um, so how we think about sales led is you are either solving one or one of two problems. You're solving a problem for the executive who then distributes it to the team, or you're, you're initially solving a problem for the user where they actually bring it up, right? It's the inverse of each other. Um, I actually fundamentally believe that a big misstep every founder makes, whether it's product-led or sales-led, is they don't, every, listen, every startup eventually will become a sales-led B2B company, right? That is the truth. Like all roads lead to sales-led. Why? If you want to be a big enough company, you need to get into the biggest organizations. And sometimes it takes an extremely long time to penetrate through bottoms, uh, bottoms up into these organizations because somewhere it's going to get blocked, right? And especially in the market we are in, which is what we would define a bear market, users have less and less um, optionality or control in terms of the tools they use. It needs to sometimes go up to get approval before they put anything on their corporate card, if they still have a corporate card available to them. So um, when you think about sales led, what problems are you solving? Like, who'd you build it for? Let's just start there. Like I have a lot of founders come to me and say, should we be bottoms up or tops down? And my initial question is, is who did you build it for? And if, if, and, and then from there, what specific problem are you solving? Are you solving a user's problem or an executive's problem? Cause those are radically different, radically different. Um, so that also comes from the visioning of the founder, but also it's how the market wants to buy, right? Which is, does the market, is it a educated known problem that they have purchased before? And it's, you know, single, you know, a single user can get value out of it. It's fast onboarding, meaning they're going to see value in under 30 days. Or is this something that takes three months, four months to see the value come to fruition because of multiple different reasons? Um, so I think there's a lot of nuance to that question. And it really comes down to what type of, who did they build it for? And then from there, how does the market want to buy? So we always start with what's your vision? Who did you want to build it for? And then we, we take it to the next stage, which is, okay, does that align with how the market wants to buy? Got it. But do you think ACV, the annual contract value of the product also has a play uh, in the GTM motion? Yeah, I think pricing is secondary, right? Which is what is the problem you're solving? That's going to determine how you price this thing, right? Are you solving a problem that, um, is really at the user level where it might be more 
um, you know, a single player where they, they get immediate value out of it. And, or are you solving a problem that an entire team has access to? Because again, Slack started out as bottoms up, right? And then they be became tops down. Well, they sell at two different radically price points, right? You see this all the time. You see user price point and then you see enterprise price point. Um, so I think, you know, the price point is more predicated on the motion because again, if you're doing a sales led motion, much longer sales cycle, you're going to have to battle procurement. You're also solving for a much bigger problem. Therefore, the price is obviously going to be much larger. No, that, that actually makes a lot of sense, right? But, uh, but the way, the way I think our minds are tuned is if it's sales led, the ACV needs to be a larger amount. And if it's marketing led, it can be, it can be a lower amount. But I think it, it, this goes into the fact that if you're marketing led, it's, it's more of you selling to the user rather than selling to the organization. Uh, marketing led is about velocity. Sales led is about the size of the deal, right? Like you can, it's like the whole idea of like the elephant versus the rabbit. I think that's the analogy that they use in the graph, but are you selling a $250,000 deal or are you selling a $25,000, $25 deal? You need a yeah. hell of a lot of velocity, massive market to be able to get to the same level. That's a, that. Yeah. That makes complete sense, Jen. Uh, Jen, I, I'd like to touch upon what you, what you just mentioned earlier, right? I, I'm somebody who completely believes in founder led sales model as well. Uh, yep. If a founder is unable to sell their product, a product I, I don't think any Rockstar salesperson or a VP of sales that can come from any part of the world to sell your product, right? What are I your agree. thoughts on this? Yep. Uh, how long do you think a founder should sell his product? Yeah, so the founder should sell their product long enough where they don't have enough day, day, time in their calendar, right? Like that is a very easy, um, uh, you know, clear answer for, if you no longer have time to serve and there are deals dropping because your calendar doesn't support it, that means that there is food to feed someone else, right? And that is a great time to bring in, I always start bottoms up before you go tops down in, in terms of hiring, bring in your first one or two AEs right? Do not bring them in if they still, if there's no food for them, right? If you're expecting them to go out and, and do outbound, they should be doing outbound, but there should be something that they come in and are able to, able to get their hands around and learn from first. So first and foremost, what does the founder's calendar look like? That's one. Two is, are they able to prove that people are willing to pay for it, right? There's at least five, 10, depending on the deal size, maybe 20, customers that are currently paying for it and, and staying on? And two, is there a clear process for whom they are selling to, the specific problem they are solving for, and an understanding of accountability? Meaning if you hired your first salesperson, how many leads do they need to reach out to on a daily basis? What conversion rates do you hold them accountable to? What is the sales cycle they should be able to operate in? That piece is always, I think, some, somehow forgotten because I see founders hire sales folks all the time and my question to them is, how are you holding them accountable? If you don't know, how do you know what good looks like? And then the most important piece that founders don't think about is a great rockstar salesperson, which is what you need, will not join your team if there is no evidence that there is initial signs of product market fit. They're smart. They're making money somewhere else. They want to ensure they're going to get their quota too when they join. So when you make these hires, Always be aware of the person that's willing to join the organization before there's proof. Because um, that to me is like, why would someone take on that level of risk? Um, so, uh, so yeah, hopefully that helps helps answer that question in terms of those three 
those three dimensions. It does. But what, what happens in cases where I'm a founder, but I'm not good at sales. Yeah. Uh, I'm good at product building. I'm good at, uh, yeah. let's say managing a team or let's say some levels of marketing then sh- because that's my weakness. Do you think I need to bring yeah. a salesperson? Yeah. And that yeah. So fundamentally, if you can't get good at sales and you don't want to get good at sales, then you don't deserve to start a startup, right? Cause a startup <laughs> today is sales. You're going to be selling to investors. You're going to be selling to future executives. You're going to be selling to your customers. If you don't like sales, I don't know what you're doing at this point. Right. So yes, absolutely. It might be a little rough in the beginning, but it's about reps. You will get better and better and better. Part of the reason we built our model is to support founders at this stage, because it is a lonely stage um, where you need someone deep in the weeds with you, but be very careful about who you bring in and why, because if you can find someone that has experience in the zero to one stage and has done it a few times, that's a great person that you can bring in early to, to help you. But that's few and far between. In fact, I don't think most of those people exist, right? Because that's really the founder's job. But if you as a founder are using an excuse, I'm not good at sales, that's when my antenna radar goes up, which is like, well, wait a second, your job is sales. And if you don't want to get better and, um, and take the reps and ask for a sales advisor to support you or you know, bring in an organization like the jellyfish to kind of guide you and accelerate that learning, then I don't know what you're doing. That's brutal, but, but honest. <laughs> uh, okay. When do you think an organization needs to start, start their sales process? The reason I ask this, if you take the light, lights of Figma, they yep. built for a bunch of years before they even started selling. And in, an example in India would be Rocket Lane. They did not sell from day one. They wanted yep. to get their product to perfect. They didn't want to sell their MVP and then they started going out in the market. So when do you think is the right moment for a startup to, to begin their sales process? Yeah, I think it's, um, so I, I think there's, I want to separate two things here. One is sales and then there's customer discovery. Customer discovery is I want to go out and learn, understand, question, um, not sell, I have still so much I need to do to go deep into the how this problem is manifesting for my potential customers. So many founders make the misstep of trying out, trying to go out and sell on day one. Sure, customer discovery is an, is part of sales, but at the end of the day, you need to lead with trying to understand their problems. Your solution should not come into the conversation till at least call two or three. Okay, so. I always say, start with customer discovery, start with earning the right to sell by learning and deeply understanding that sub-segment and the second and third order impacts of the problem. Not just the first order, because in most cases, that's probably being served. Um, what are the second and third order problems? Now, in the cases of like a rocket lane, where they're actually in somewhat of a educated market, right, where people understand the importance of what they are solving for. Um, I can understand why they wanted their product to be a little bit more um, uh, refined before they they bring it to market. But I don't think that stopped them from customer discovery, right? I don't actually know their day one story. We work with them a little bit later, but um, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that they probably still did customer discovery and didn't go out and try and sell it on day one and use no. that customer discovery insight to fuel how they further built it out. So, so start customer discovery while building the product. And once your product is at an MVP stage, start selling. Is that, is that... Yeah, I think so. I mean, here's the thing, an early adopter, everyone always over, over 
come um overemphasizes it what an early an early adopter is someone that wants an edge okay that is willing to take on a half built product to see if they can get an edge over everybody else or prove that value or show their team what they can do right or bring something new to, to new to um new to the organization they do not want an overbuilt product that is not an early adopter that is a late majority right? Where they're like, oh, what about this, 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 and this? That's an excuse for why they're not going to buy. An early adopter, as long as you can solve this for them, they're willing to try it. They're willing to experiment. That's just the type of persona they are. So if you're going after people that are not, are telling you that they need X, Y, and Z in order to buy, leading indicator that that is not an early adopter. So absolutely start out with an MVP, except my only you know exception to that rule is unless you're going after an extremely educated market who is going to compare apples to apples um and you're not solving something that you know you're maybe already solving something that's overserved you didn't go deep enough then yeah maybe it's going to be more challenging that is that makes sense uh, again uh, going a little deeper is validation of problem statement right uh so do we take every like I'm, I'm if i'm just starting out do i take everybody's opinion at the same value or do i uh do i add add more bonus points to somebody who's cutting a check first yeah so you got to be very careful be careful because there is such thing as the wrong customer why is that person cutting a check are they buying for the right reasons or are they hoping to buy and then guide you to exactly what they need. I've seen that happen, right? Where someone will say, will flaunt some money and say, all right, well, we, we need this. And that is pertaining to just them. It's not the broader market. And all of a sudden this startup turns into this consulting company at a much lower rate than a true consulting company because they want X and Y built out. I've actually seen it happen. What you want to do is make sure that you are getting a mental model around how your initial target market thinks, okay? <coughs> That's where customer discovery comes in. What are the four problems you believe they're facing and which of those four problems is the most repeatable? Okay, to make sure that you are going down the right track. Um, so be very careful about anyone just flaunting money. There are such thing as bad, bad, not bad customers, but like customers for the wrong reasons and they will take you down the wrong track. I've seen it firsthand. Got so it. make sure they're buying for the right reasons and for the problems that you want to solve, not to guide you down somewhere else because um, they want a cheaper way to build out X, X solution. Got it. None no, of that makes sense. Uh, Jen, again, with respect to, I think most of the B2B startups in India want to sell to the US, right? Sure. That's how they built out. And that's one of, uh, what do you think is the inflection point or when do you think uh, startups in India need to, needs to start focusing on uh, the US market in, that want to expand to the US. The reason I ask yeah. is, uh, is there a minimum ACV? Uh, should they have X amount of dollars in the bank? Should they have X yeah. amount of team, X amount of customers? What, like, when do I expand to the US yeah. as a B2B startup? Yeah, I mean, the answer is very different than what is two years ago, right? Because experimenting right now in the US market is expensive, right? Right, it's um, a market where it is extremely hard to navigate. There is so many different sub-segments. There's cultural nuances that you need to be aware of. Um, so there is a level of money it takes to like really sell here. I mean, to do customer discovery, right? Like you can you can do that from, from India. And as long as you can inspire someone to a call, like you can do customer discovery without a product. Like that is the beauty of some of this stuff. Um, I usually say that 
the longer you wait to come into the U.S. market, the harder it becomes and the less likely you will find product market fit. In the 300 engagements we have ever done, the anytime it goes Series A and beyond, it becomes twice as hard. Why? Because as soon as that founder learns about what the U.S. market truly cares about, they have overbuilt something that doesn't align with that reality. And now they need to make the decision, wow, do we now restructure this or rebuild for the U.S.? Or do we continue? But now you have different customers you're serving, right? Like you're, the APAC market might want this, and then the U.S. market might want this. And now there's a direct misalignment. So who is your customer? Because right? it's so hard to serve more than one or more than one in the earlier days. Um, so I always say, come learn about the learn about what the U.S. market wants yesterday, because um, the the earlier you do it, the better. There's no such thing as too early. Um, but be mindful that selling in the U.S. market does require a level of money, and the U.S. customers are smart. They're going, especially the more further you go up on the value chain, mid-market and enterprise, they're going to want to know that you have money in the bank to sustain. Otherwise, why are they going to take a risk on someone that only has a quarter of a million dollars to their name? That's a huge risk and most likely they're not going to buy. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Again, when it comes to, I, I think we're talking mostly about VC-backed startups. What about yep. bootstrap startups? When do they expand to the U.S.? So I don't know the answer to that, uh, truthfully, because most of my experience is in VC. I would say bootstrapped, you're probably going to be a little bit later because you truly need to show that you have, you have something behind you. Otherwise, why is someone going to take a risk on you? Right? Like it is, I mean, would you take a risk on someone that has less than a million dollars to their name? I mean, are yep. they going to be around no, for you? I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm just like, saying hypothetical questions. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just, that's a much tougher sell. Not only are you not here and your, you know, your team is not even in this market, but now you the question becomes is how long are you going to be around for? I actually was part of a uh a procurement call for a, a client we have today selling into the enterprise and their procurement lead said, "I want to see your books. I want to see how much money you have." And we said, "Well, we're a VC backed startup, we're private. Like why do you want to know that answer?" And they said, we want to make sure that you are going to be around next year. And yep. then we said, well, what's that number for you? Like, what is the number that's going to make you comfortable? And luckily they had a little bit more than that, but we didn't have to show the books. We just had to have a lawyer, you know, kind of approve it. Mm -hmm. But th there is a lot of um, digging into the sustainability of some of the, of a lot of companies, because the truth is that is a huge risk for a lot of companies right now in terms of who their partners are and if they're going to be around. Understood. No, that makes sense. Just going back to your previous point, Jen, uh, yeah. do, like, do you, like, don't I even need 10 customers with me or let's say 10, 5, 10 customers for me to even validate that problem statement in India before I expand to the US? Because no, because, if, yeah. yeah, sorry. I was going to no, say because, no. Okay. No, because if I, if I don't have, I mean, I've built something based on certain assumptions. Yeah. And these assumptions are not validated by a paying customer. Yeah. Uh, and without these assumptions getting validated, if I begin expanding to the U.S. on day one, uh, and then they get invalidated, isn't isn't that a costly uh, miss at my end? In the B two B, I've never met a founder whose whose vision and traction in India translated at all to the U.S. ever. So I would say, actually, I think that's more of a misconception because U.S. buyers and uh, buyers in India are just so different. 
right? Like they'll buy from someone that they trust and that they know in the U S they want to know who's going to produce the most value for them. Right. Um, so I would say five to 10 customers in India doesn't carry any weight. And that problem most likely is going to need to be refined anyway. So I would say that that's actually more of a misconception than it is a truth. Got it. Got it. And uh, just getting a little deeper with respect to category creation, right? When when you're yep. building out in a established category, it's much different than creating your creating a new category altogether. Yep. So when you're creating a new category, do you think the fundamentals of B2B sales still remain the same? Because the reason yeah. I ask is I think there are a lot of more invalidations that happen in your process rather than validations. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think when you're when you're going out to a known market, make people something want. That's YC's kind of mantra. When you're going after a market that doesn't exist, then the mantra becomes make people want something. See the difference? Yep. Um, it will listen, being category creating is not sexy. Why? You one, no one is actively in search of a solution today. They might have a known problem, but they don't know how to solve it. So now you are educating them on why they should maybe solve it through tech versus headcount, why they should solve it with you when you have limited brand equity. Um, and also, it takes a lot of money to be category and creating, unfortunately. Why? The sales cycles are much longer. Right. Because people aren't and most likely don't have a budget created. So now what you are doing is you're now educating the buyer on why they need this. If you're going after SMB, that might be, I don't know, around three months sales cycle, which is a lot for a small company. If you're going after a mid market, that might be closer to six months. If you're going after enterprise, that might be well over 12 months. Right. These are just, you know, so. You have to be really careful about, I think, entering a, a opportunity where you're category creating because it's not sexy. It takes a hell of a lot longer and you need to have such a tight, tight understanding of their problem. Otherwise, why is someone going to listen to you? Yeah. And do you think when you're creating a category, right, uh, you need to make, like you said, you need, you need to make people want you or want your product. Yep. Once, yeah. So then in that case, do you think teams need to start focusing on demand chain early on in their uh, startup journey rather than put, put their efforts at sales on day one? Um, so what? So just clarify to me, what's the difference between demand gen and sales? Just No, I think demand gen involves a lot of, uh, lot of, lot of material return uh, to talk about why somebody needs something, writing about the category, educating them. Yeah. There's, there is no sales. You're educating them. Why? Yeah. How do they think about the problem? How should they solve it? What are their alternatives? If they are like, you have to help, like, they're going to want to spend the time. Like they are probably thinking, okay, yes. Th is this a problem worth solving now? First question. The second question is, is this person responsible for solving this problem? Because again, when it's category creating, <clears throat> who owns it? Sometimes yep. it's a few people. Sometimes there becomes like a political fight on who gets to own it. Like it's messy. The third is, where does the budget come from? Yeah. That takes time. And then the fourth is, okay, now that we have budget, now that we know we need to do it, what other ways are there for me to solve it beyond just you? Because they're going to have to ask that question. That is part of their buying process that in this market, what are our other options? Everyone is asking that question. 
Is it headcount? And then why why you yep. again needs to needs to be answered. So again, it is a much I almost say it's like two to three times as long as entering a known market. Got it. I I'm glad you touched on budget, right? Uh, sometimes, as, especially in new categories, I think the decision maker is different from the person implementing the product and the person implementing the product is different from the person actually using the product. Yep. That's exactly how do, right. how, how do you navigate, navigate a situation like this? Who do you sell to? Who do you write your content for? Who do you approach? Yeah. That, I know there's no one, a- I know there's no one, 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 yeah, one I mean, answer to this, but just, just to yeah. understand. Yes. I, so it's interesting. I, I actually tweeted about this the other day. If you go to an executive, right. And you start to talk about the problems that you solve, right. They might delegate you if it's too technical, the more technical, the problem, the more it's probably going to go down one or two ranks. It's just the nature right? Because they're not the ones doing the day-to-day. So who is responsible for the people that do the day-to-day? That's usually one, in larger companies, that's usually one or two rungs below the, the, the executive. If you're targeting SMB and mid-market, that actually might be the individual. So it, I think there's a nuance in, are we targeting small business, mid-market, or enterprise, right? Um, enterprise meaning Fortune 1000. I think there's a misconception in different markets about what enterprise means. Enterprise meaning Fortune 1000, like multi-billion dollar revenue companies. Um, so I think it de- it determines on which market are you targeting first, one. Two is what is the problem you're solving and for whom, right? Sometimes the executive needs to sign the check, but they're not the ones implementing it. Yep. Right. So I think it depends on where that falls on the spectrum. No, made sense. Again, I think that's the biggest problem when it comes to category creation that a lot of companies are. Which problem? Like, what is the problem you're solving and who owns that problem, right? Like, if it's about, um, you know, making sure on something delivery related, that's probably not the executive buyer, Mm. right? If it's based on, like, how do we increase the speed to something, that might be the executive buyer because there are certain things they care about. Risk, revenue, and maybe, like, speed to achieve it right? Everything else kind of goes to the next layers below them. So again, where, what do they care about? Um, and what is the, again, what does it come down to? What is the problem you're solving and for whom? And sometimes the whom answers that and sometimes the problem answers that. And if I'm solving a product, uh, let's say my problem I'm solving for, uh, for the engineering team, for the, for the developer, yep. but then the yep. executive, I need the buy-in from the CTO. Yep. Do do I sell to the CTO or do I do I write do I do my demand photos to the developer? Yep. So it depends. Are you bottoms up or top down? It goes back to what kind of go to market are you? Got um, it. Or who do you want to serve? I mean, serving a CTO is such a different type of founder than serving a developer. Mm. Um. Mm. So a lot of these things get answered in in terms of where are we starting? Are we starting top down? Are we starting bottoms up? Bottoms. And that will help answer kind of that question. Makes sense. Again, I told this net section zero, net session, uh, net section zero to one, right? Uh, so, I, how, how, what is the best way, or how does a company get to its first ten customers? Let's state an assumption: fifteen to twenty thousand dollar ACV sells globally, B two B SaaS. Uh, do you do you approach yep. friends and friends friends within the ecosystem first? Do you do cold emailing? Do you do Google AdWords? Which is yep. the best way to get your first ten customers? Yeah. So if your friend, if you've built this for your friends and they are your ICP, 
absolutely start there. 99% of the time, your friend is not your ICP. So like be very careful speaking to a friend who is not your ICP or initial subsegment. Okay. Um, the second is, is that getting your first 10 customers takes a lot longer than what anyone thinks. Why? I think in this zero interest rate market, we were all selling to our friends. They were all doing us a favor. That doesn't, that's not true anymore. And a lot of startups were selling to startups, right? Which uh. is not, not necessarily something that is as viable right now. Um, getting your first 10 customers. I think that if you can get your first 10 customers and they are unaffiliated to you, that carries a significant amount of weight, confidence, and trust that you're onto something. If your first 10 customers is vastly made up of friends, you're going to have to really justify to maybe investors when you go on and raise your next round, how, because this is what investors care about, right? How did you find them or how did they find you? Okay. And why did they buy? Yep. And you don't want to say, oh, well, you know, they're part of my network or they're going to want to see that channel. And because again, it's going to throw things off friends or the sales cycle for a friend is going to be a lot faster, right? Because they're most likely in most cases doing you a favor. Yep. So your first 10 customers, I wouldn't count a customer if it's a friend, I would say your first 10 customers have to be unaffiliated, right? Unaffiliated paying customers and that you may be have no more than one dropping off at the end, right? You don't want churn. You want churn to be very, very low. So I think not only is it generating 10 customers, it's ensuring that that at least 95, 90%, if not more, are not churning off, um, right? Because now, now you just have leakage in different parts of the funnel. So your first 10 customers should be unaffiliated, source cold, right? This is the hard work, but this is what builds sustainability and and real raw insight into what you're doing. Um, and it will take, again, the seed stage should take you one and a half to two years, right? There is this misconception over the last, I don't know if it was the market we were in, but like, this is normal. Like to get 10 customers, to get 10 unaffiliated paying customers, that might take a 10, 12 to 18 months. Even if you're selling yeah. 15 to 20,000, I always, I always suggest if you're selling a 15 to 20,000 and it's, you know, more than six months sales cycle, you need to go up on your price. Yep. So you're saying if you want to get unaffiliated sales, the best way is cold email and LinkedIn. Cold, cold email, LinkedIn, um, maybe go to comp conferences, might produce one or two. It's not sustainable to just do conferences, but yeah, like what is the most sustainable way until they're fine, until they're looking for you, you need to be looking for them. And you need to be reaching out to them and, and cold email is the most effective way to do it. We, like it, it, it truly works. If it's not working, it's because something's not right. Either the problem you're listing is not resonating or you're tar targeting the wrong market. So I always say when cold email is not working, it's because one of two things are wrong. It's not the channel that doesn't work. It's the inputs that are not working. Got it. And I love that you touched unaffiliated clients, right? So I recently went to SAS Boomi. It's a conference that happens in Chennai. Yep. Uh, yeah. So Girish Mathrabudam, the CEO of Fresh Fresh Words, right? He talks about stranger ARR. He calls it the stranger yeah. ARR, and it's the same concept what you were just talking about. I, I I love that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not an investor, but I'm curious to know: Do investors discount non-strangers? 
logically and probably they sh- they should just like you said yeah uh, because it's not repeatable yep yeah it is an unsustainable it's unsustainable traction which is is it really traction then also i'm curious i mean glad you touched this do investors discount when I, i'm a startup you're a startup i buy a product of yours and you buy a product of mine uh, do do investors discount that i have no idea i'm not an investor <laughs> Right. Yeah, I would, I would, I would ask them. I don't know. I, I mean, I would, uh, if maybe it was obvious, but I would imagine most founders don't make that obvious. Right, right. Uh, Jen, I'm glad you touched about cold emailing. Right. So let's say again, what should the first sequence be? Should the first sequence be salesy? Should the first sequence be more of a discovery? But I'm trying to talk to this person. What should be the first sequence of uh, yeah. entrepreneur? The first, right? the first week sequence is always. Hey, here's a problem we are solving. Is this something that you're facing? If you can inspire them through that, no sales no salesy email is going to do anything for you. Right? In this is like people in the US market specifically because like I I know the US and I'm only going to speak to that cuz yep. I'm not familiar with how other markets work, but in the US market, if you touch upon a problem that someone is facing, they want to learn more, especially if it's coming from a founder. If a founder reaches out to you with a problem that you are facing, 9 times out of 10 you're going to get on a call with them. That is a beautiful thing. Yep. Because now you're getting people that want to learn because of a, about a problem, right? If you start lead with the solution, right? Most of the time you're not even speaking their language. If it comes across as you're just trying to push something, you don't understand them yet, so how do they know that they even need this and that if they're even the right fit? But again, if you lead with the problem, that is when things unfold. Yep. I've seen it. I've mean, been doing this for 7 years. It works. It works. Um, and a lot of founders just want to accelerate to sales as fast as possible. Here's the thing. If you're not learning, what are you doing? You're an experiment. A startup is an experiment. In the 0 to 1 journey, it is one massive experiment. So what are you doing if you're not learning? Yeah. Yeah and and do these calls usually start, yeah. yeah do these calls usually end up do these people end up becoming clients or do you just take the take these as learnings apply them to your product and again do an outreach to a different bunch of people yeah both i mean you're going to speak to people that are not true early adopters but having their insight on how they're fe- feeling the problem how the problem is manifesting for you is helpful but not everyone is no the vast majority of the market is not early adopters so it is going to take a lot of frog it's going to take kissing a lot of frogs right <sighs> before you get your initial early adopter but like this is how it's done like this is how it's always been done again i think the last 2 to 3 years have created an extreme false misconception about 0 to 1 this is the hardest journey it should take somewhere between a year and a half to 2 years to get to some level of product market fit and it is a slog there is nothing sexy about it um and i think honestly we the last 2 years have been or the last 3 years are not reality that is not normal um i've been in sales since like 2012 2011 startup sales this is what it actually feels like it is not it is it it, it is there's high highs and really really low lows 
Um, and this is normal. And, and I'm like, and most people are going to be like, yeah, we'll, we'll just wait till the market. This is the market. This is an extremely normal environment. This now, is granted, the reality. This is the reality. Now, sure. There's a dose of pessimism right now. Like that, that is true. Like, but 80%, this is reality, right? Sales cycles take a little bit longer. It's harder to get customers. <clears throat> you need to be solving a real problem, yep. right? Like, there is no hiding any hiding anymore behind, you know, what I call artificial growth. Yep. Again, going back to uh, your first 10 customers, do you think marketing yep. even has a role to play in the first 10 customers, say educating about the problem statement? Or do you say, no, marketing does not have a role, it's only well, sales? So I, people misconstrue what marketing is. So I always yep. say, if you can't go one-to-one and inspire the market, why do you think you're going to be able to do one-to-many? The real feedback, that raw feedback, Jessica Livingston wrote an unbelievable post about this. I think it's, I think it's called um, Why Startups Should Focus on Sales, Not Marketing. I highly recommend everyone to read it. it was a, it's a beautiful, beautiful article, short, sweet, direct. And what she says is, there is no other place to get real raw feedback than in sales in a one-on-one conversation. One-to-many is a cop-out. If you can't inspire one-to-one, premature scaling going one-to-many. If you can't get real raw feedback in one-to-one, what are you even doing in one-to-many? You're not gonna get any feedback. People are just gonna ignore you. So the truth is, is it's zero-to-one is completely sales intensive, whether you're product-led, marketing-led, sales-led. It Zero-to-one is always founder-led sales. How well, else are you gonna get that flywheel? Yeah, that makes yeah. a lot, lot of sense. Everything you say resonates to me, so I'm just smiling. Uh, yeah. is, do you think repeatability is important in your zero to one, especially when you're getting to zero to one million? Um, yes, but repeatability comes after being able to do it manually first, right? Manual, repeatable, scalable. Repeatability means that you have a process that a non-founder can now follow. Scalable means when you keep adding headcount, there's a math equation that makes this work, right? So Everyone always talks about scalability. It's all it is is more bodies, right? So, um, so it is very much, um, you have to prove, focus on making it work founder one-on-one and then focus on, okay, can a non-founder now be able to achieve this? That's repeatability is when a non-founder is able to take it over. Got it. Uh, Right, Jen. So I think I think we're 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 at the end 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 of our podcast. Yeah. Uh, if you were to leave us with three hats that would be really beneficial for somebody uh, to begin sales, let's say from India to the US, what would the three hats be? Yeah. Um. Start yesterday to learn. <laughs> the longer you wait, the harder it is to get to product market and fit in the US. I see it over and over and over again. So start yesterday to learn and question and understand the US buyer. Two is do not, it, it, this is the founder's job. When expanding into the US market is going to make up at a minimum 50% of your TAM. Many of you probably want to go out and raise from US investors later down the line. It needs to be led by the founder. No one else, especially as an international market, is going to be able to get in the room with a US customer other than the founder, right? Like you have, it is a true competitive edge. Founder-led selling is such a competitive edge. Do not give it up too early. Um, and you know when to give it up is when your calendar gets filled and and, um, and you feel like you're dropping stuff. So do not give up the the, the edge you have as a, as a, a through founder-led selling. Um, and then the third is it it's going to take 
a year and a half to two years to get to product market fit in the US. It will. Um, if you if you falsely accelerate it, um, and we've seen that a lot, like just look at the market, right? There's a lot of Series A companies out there that do not have product market fit, right? The only way you get to product market fit is through a unique insight. Selling a truism, which is obviously going to be overserved, will do nothing for you. You need to be able to sell a different approach, a different view on the problem, a different way of thinking about it. That is what inspires the market, is the problem, how you think about it, and how you envision it. So those are like the three takeaways. And the fourth, the bonus, (laughs) is your initial vision will likely be completely invalidated. That is healthy. That means you're going deep. That means you're learning. If you go out and validate everything on day one, that is a huge red flag for everybody. And that should be for yourself. Got it. Uh, If you were to give us two productivity hacks, what would it be? Ooh, productivity hacks. Um, start, try and sell to strangers. Avoid friends, avoid family, avoid warm networks. Go direct to strangers. That's where that's where the nuance lives and the real gold. Um, that's one. Two is... Um, it can be even a tool. Take, it, it can be even a tool that you use that, that, that helps you stay productive. Oh, uh, re-listen to every call. Right. Listen to every single call because you will pick up something that you didn't pick up the first time you heard it. Got it. And so what... I listen to my own two or three times. Uh, you do? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. And one book that you would suggest everyone to read, apart from the article that you mentioned, which I'll leave in the description, yeah. one book that you would uh, recommend. So there's a wonderful gentleman named Pete Kajansky. He wrote a book called Founder Sales or Founding Sales. It all talks about the zero to one. And I agree, fundamentally agree with 98% of what he has written. So great book, great read. It's a quick read. It's very practical. Um, I highly recommend that book. We'll definitely read that. Thank you. Uh, Are you looking up to any CEOs, India, abroad, anywhere? Oh my God, yes. Yes. Oh yeah. I'd Um, like to hear a few names in India, a few names in the US or anywhere um, outside India. I think Kunal is incredible. Um, uh, what he says, I it like really resonates, um, and I agree with a lot of the things he suggests. Um, in the U.S., um, uh, who am I a big fan of and, and follow? Um, I love the box CEO Aaron Levy. Um, he is incredible. He talks a lot about the early days mm-hmm. um, and what it, it what it took to 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 sell. Um, I love Jason Lemkin. He keeps it real. Yeah. Um, of Saster. Um, who else do I think, um, you know, is a great, I'm trying to think who else in the Indian, in the Indian ecosystem that is fantastic. Um, now you caught me on the spot. Cause if I looked at my Twitter, I'd be able to rattle uh-huh. off like a bunch of people. But, uh, but yeah, those, those three are the ones that, I would be I would be upset if they went on a Twitter hiatus. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Jen. It was really kind of you to be a part of this podcast. I had a great time. I think there are a lot of valuable insights that you've provided, like very no fluff and right to the point, which is which is which is what I really liked. Uh, no fluff ever. It's yeah. tough so hard. And I, <laughs> you know, I, I think truthfully in the zero to one stage, you can't sugarcoat because that's where people die, right? When they continue thinking there's hope down some other track, that's where death lives. So, um, what I've learned is 
Sometimes it's really hard to hear direct feedback, but that is the only, you want as many at bats as possible. Yep, 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 yep. So thank you so much, Jen. I, I hope to do this some other time with you. So I'll definitely keep to. in touch and we'll Absolutely. reach out to you soon. Thank you so much. Have a lovely day. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye.